is Scott Pomeroy. He's going to be bringing us God's word tonight. He's Frank's younger brother, right? I'm sure he's young. The better looking brother. Better looking. Yeah, he looks a lot like Frank, but it looks good on me. <laughs> Sorry, brother. Oh, I got to stay here with Frank. Okay. Yeah, but your your knee's going to get better and you will come out of there. So, mm. well, anyways, whatever. It is what it is. Uh, anyways, this is Scott Pomeroy, and I'd like to pray with you, brother. And, and we'll get things going. I think Scott has everything worked out. So, Father God, I just, uh, I pray that you, that, that you work tonight, God, that you bless us through the word that your brother has is bringing to us tonight, God, and that you bless him for being a willing servant, God, and just bless this whole house, uh, bless everything that happens, everything that is said here tonight, God, I pray that it all comes from you, and just use us in your service, and teach us what you would have us to learn. Yes, I pray these things in Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Tonight. No guitar, Frank. Oh, helps if I unmute it. Do you 
Oh 
Bibles, go ahead and get them, and we're going to be hanging out and doing some Bible drills tonight, so to speak. But I wanted to start by thanking Alien, Annie and Julio for coming. Uh, they're, yeah, they're a couple of our youth, and every time I get an opportunity to speak somewhere, I try to let them have an opportunity to play and, and use their spiritual gifts and hone those spiritual gifts, so praise God for them coming. And uh, I wanted to thank you guys, thank Frank for allowing me to come and be able to speak at this year's uh, church revival, Sutherland Springs uh, First Baptist Church revival. It's truly an honor and a blessing to be here, and uh, thank you for coming tonight to to have uh, uh, your heart available to hear, hopefully, what God has for us tonight. So before we get started, if you'll join me and bow our heads, and we'll open up. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We are honored to be in your presence here tonight, Father as what I hope is humble servants, Father, Lord, to just come to uh, Your foot of Your cross, Father, to Your feet humbly, to have whatever it is that You want us to hear from the message that You have uh, had me to prepare, Lord. I just pray that our hearts would be moldable, our minds would be open, Father, and that we would be able to feel Your Word and Your Spirit inside of us like never before. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for the leadership of this church. I pray for the congregation of this church, Father that You would bless them in a mighty way for wanting to be revived, Father, as our nation is in need of a revival, Father. And Lord, we know that starts in the church, Father. Lord, we know the reason why our government's the way it is is that we have failed as a church, Father. So Lord, I pray for a revival in our hearts that starts here tonight, Father, that spreads throughout this community like wildfire, Father. Lord, if just one person leaves this place changed, Father, we know that it was all for Your good, Father as You do all good things for us, Father. So Lord, we just ask that You would be in this place tonight, Father. Have our hearts and minds to be open to You. And we pray that You would just penetrate 
every fiber of our being, Father. We ask this in Your precious and holy name. Amen. So as we get started tonight, I don't... Uh, what happened here? Uh, as we get started tonight, I want to be sure uh, that I give you a little bit of a preview, if you can tell uh, by some of the things that I have up here, um, what we're kind of going to be talking about the next few days. And I don't know what's going on here. My thing is acting up, so I apologize. Um, but I want to talk about what it looks like to be an athlete for Christ, right? And because it doesn't matter if you're two years old or if you're 102 years old, we're to be striving to be the best that we can be, to be the best athlete for Christ that we can possibly be. So tonight we're going to start by seeing if you're even in the race, right? Because this is going to be a revival, and what I believe a revival is, is reviving those hearts that already are with Christ, right? And reviving our city, and our nation to go out and reach those that are lost. Because that's what our mission is, and I hope and pray that you see that as well through these next three nights. But tonight, like I said, we're going to start and see if you're in the race, or if you're in the middle of the race, or if you're stuck at the starting line, and maybe have never made that decision to accept Christ. Right. So no matter where you're at, I hope and pray that this, this really touches your heart over the next few days. Tonight night, we're going to see what it looks like to run a contagious race, and to be running a race that others would want to follow. You know, we follow all these different athletes, and we follow all these people in sports, but we very rarely follow Jesus, right? Especially from the magnitude of these guys make the money and the power and the presence they have. What did Jesus stop being enough doing that? Right? So it's very important that we get back on track and get revived to remember that, I believe. And so, and then on, on uh, Tuesday night, we're going to look and see what it looks like to reach the finish line. Right? Not to be stopping halfway every day. To make it through, as, as coaches used to tell me, you've got to run all the way through. Don't stop. Sprint to the end. Because this is the turtle in the hare. Right? And just because you may be the turtle, I hope that wisdom is growing to reach that finish line with a goal, focus, to get there, and not just be done every day. And start over every day. Right? Um, so, as we get started now, I'm sure many of you in some way, shape, or form has either played sports, knew somebody that played sports, maybe your kids played sports, your siblings played sports, and so you've been in some sort of event or even just following the, the, the NFL or the basketball, NBA, whatever it is, but you know what it looks like and see athletes from beginning to end in some way, shape, or form. And so, most of you know what being a good runner or being able to compete in a competitive sport requires extreme dedication to succeed. Well, it's not any different with the race that we run for Christ. It takes extreme dedication to strive to be the best, and that's what God expects of us. Yes, we fall short. I'm not talking about a works-based salvation, but we should be striving for a goal to be Christ-like. You know, I was here, I had the opportunity a couple months ago to come here and preach, and I preached on that. I think we have forgotten and lost track of what the word Christian means, to be Christ-like. Because we throw it around like it's just something you put on and take off instead of being something that stays embedded in your heart and burns daily to grow. And not just something that's just said to be said. As I said before, uh, 83% of this, this nation claims to be Christian. And uh, I think we had a lot more stand up and speak out last Tuesday than ever before. But still, I can't see where 83% of this nation is Christian. right? And so we have some serious downfalls and we need to be revived. And we need to be excited to run the race that is before us. Um, so it's, it's always amazing to me. I'm involved in heavily in the Fellowship of Christian Athletes here in Floresville with the, with the students. Every Monday night we meet 
And uh, Tammy and I provide a meal, and then we have fellowship, and then we actually get into God's Word. But when going there, it's always in the Tiger's Den, which is in the very back. And so you meet all the athletes, and you see them all training and trying to be the best they can, the biggest they can, the fastest they can to run what they got to run, hit what they got to hit, throw what they got to throw. And I'm always amazed as the, as the time changes is when we really, we really start seeing this to see the discipline of the workouts of some of these young people because the weight room will still be open and they'll be in there until 7 or 8 o'clock. They get out of school at 4 o'clock. And so it's amazing to see them in there hitting weight or you'll see them on the track sprinting and trying to do all they can to be the very best that they can be, right? To get bigger, to get faster, to whatever it is. But it's amazing to see the conditioning that they try to put themselves through to be the best they can at whatever sport that they have been called to. But yet when you ask them, how many times have you been in church? When's the last time you hit a Bible study? When's the last time you were involved in some sort of fellowship with like-minded believers? Man, they don't want another part of that. Even the kids in the FCA don't want no part of that because then it's conviction. And then it hits them. You know, it's like, man, I'm putting, I tell them all the time. You know, it's great to have a great physique. I have one, thank you very much. But that's not going to get me to heaven. My heart being changed and my heart being on fire for God, that's where it's going to get me eternal life. So I can work out and hit weight all day. I can take blood pressure medication. I can do anything I want. But if my heart ain't right, I ain't going to be there. Simple as that. Because I'm amazed by how dedicated they are to physique and how lack of dedication there is to any kind of spiritual knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. So if you'll turn with me to Hebrews, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to be looking about running toward the finish line. And this person seeks to do so with a goal. And this person is every one of us that claim to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We don't run a race. And I know it's easy to get up and get into a routine. I found as I've gotten older, I get into this routine, I get up, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this, and it's time to go to bed. Right? And sometimes we've got to break out of that routine. And we've got to get into knowing that every day needs to be an exciting day for Christ. Because every day is a gift. All right, so if you'll turn with me to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, we're going to see we really need to um, take heed of the messages over here the next few days. Because I think you'll find, as I said, whether you're 12 or 112, these messages will apply to you. Because praise God, every word in here means something to us. And I know we want to pick and pull, and and, in today's times we see stretched and torn and ripped and tattered. And it was printed the way it was supposed to be, by the way. I want to make sure we know that. There wasn't any misprints in God's Word. It was all divinely written, even though the world would tell you something different to fit their need. But just to give you a little bit of insight of where we're going to be in Hebrews 12 today, I want to talk a little bit about Hebrews 11, because Hebrews chapter 11 is really important, as we need to know that when you look at Scripture, you can't just look at one set of Scriptures. You've got to know the history of what came before, what's happening after, to gain the context of where we're going to be tonight. So I want to make sure you understand in chapter 11, it's talking about faith, being a faithful athlete, being a faithful soldier for God and how important it is. Uh, And we see the folks here turning their lives around and trying to serve God with all they have and become the men and women that God is asking and requiring of us to be, just like he was asking and requiring the Hebrews here as Paul's talking about here. So if you look in in, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 and read along with me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which, lines, uh, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Man, that's amazing. Who does it say we're supposed to look to to live our lives? 
That's crazy, right? Because that's not what the world tells us at all. To look to Jesus, the founder and what? Perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand, uh, on the right, on the throne of God, excuse me, at the right hand of God. So I want to make sure we look at a couple things in this scripture that I think are so very important. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So let's just stop there for a bit and explain why that's so important. And we're going to get into this a little bit more throughout tonight and the next couple of days. Because let me ask you, uh, if I had all this stuff on and in a backpack, and I was trying to carry that around, man, it'd be hard to run a sprint, wouldn't it? And win and be effective, right? Because there's guys out there, there's cats out there like Michael Phelps shaves his body, his whole body, because he's afraid of a hair is going to slow him down. Runners do the same thing. Runners, sprinters and stuff wear shoes that weigh like less than a pound like ounces, to try to be as light as they possibly can because they want to throw off everything. And it's funny how even, even me, I can honestly testify as well back in the day, well, I got rid of all these big sins. I'm good now, man. I don't need to continue to repent. I don't need to continue to worry about all these other things. I got rid of drinking and smoking and drugging and chasing women and all that stuff. I'm good now. I don't need to do nothing else. Man, that isn't what God's Word says. It says to throw off every sin that clings so closely to us. So it's a daily process. As I said, this is a long-term race. For however many days God gives you the breath to breathe, that's your race. And every day we need to be refining that fire and removing the silt. You know, gold, when it comes out of a mountain, isn't the beautiful thing that women wear. Diamonds, when they come out of a mountain, are not the beautiful things that women wear. They are chipped at. They are molded. They are put in the fire so the silt can be removed and then put in the fire again until all the impurities are gone to make it the beautiful thing that God designed and created for it to be. Are we willing to do that? Because fire is hot. Fire hurts. Right? But you've got to be willing to do that to get better. Because I can honestly tell you, every place I've grown, has been in the bottom. Right? Because those mountaintops don't look pretty when you live on them every day. I learned that a couple weeks ago when we were a, few months, a month or so now when we were in Colorado for a week. Man, it was beautiful the first day. Just like completely breathtaking. And by the last day, it was still beautiful, but it wasn't nowhere near as beautiful as it was the first day. That's five days, guys. When you live on that mountaintop for a year or two, it just doesn't have everything that it once had. So sometimes you've got to be willing to go to them valleys that makes them mountains look so much more beautiful. And you can enjoy them so much more. And sometimes that takes fire. Sometimes that takes pain. But we're going to talk about that here in a little bit because that's another thing I want to discuss is endurance. Because it says in here, let us lay aside every weight um, in sin which clings so closely to us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. So let me read for you the actual definition of endurance. Listen to this. This is very key for our walk. The fact or power of enduring an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. That's truly Endurance. That's truly enduring something. Another definition is another definition that says the capacity of something to last or to withstand wear and tear. So I would ask you in your walk, not by a show of hands, where are you at with that? Does every phone call make you crater? Does every bad word make you fall? Is your salvation so light or fluffed that you really don't have any depth? Right, Because this is talking about how to build that salvation. How to build that faith. Not that you can lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying either. 
but to build it, to have endurance. Endurance is more than hearing, well, so-and-so talked about me in church, so, man, I just can't go back there. I didn't get my way, or they didn't play the song I wanted, so, dude, like, I'm not going back. Pastor said something that really got into my dark closet. I can't go back there again. Is that really endurance? Is that really enduring a race that God has called us to? Jesus died on a cross. Peter was hung upside down. You want to talk about endurance, right? All these little things is nothing compared to real, true endurance. Paul, as we're going to see here tonight and tomorrow and the next day, because I'm a real big fan of Paul, Paul was shipwrecked, beaten, prisoned, died almost six times. And he still said, but that's nothing compared to the anxiety I have for the lost. Nothing. That's what endurance looks like, guys. And I hope and pray that as we go through this, you'll understand that a little bit more. Because see, endurance can be done sitting on this or sitting on your couch. It's a decision of your mind and the condition of your heart. Because if you don't make the decision in your mind to follow God, the condition of your heart's not going to be what He wants it to be. Simple as that, right? In a nutshell. Because see, there, there is those that are serious about persevering in faith are also called the sometimes challenging level of discipline, sacrifice, and in a word, endurance. If I asked you today, and I'm not by a show of hands, when's the last time you had to sacrifice anything for your faith? Because there's people around this world that are dying for it every day. And there was a man that hung on the cross that took more than any human man could take at his time for every one of us to have that opportunity to live that life. Very important that we remember that. Because I'm kind of dumb, and I'm transparent enough to say that. I'm a very visual guy. I can watch the Passion of the Christ, and I try to watch it two or three times a year, and I cry like a baby every time I see Jesus get beat. And it incites a riot in me. And it actually incites anger, to be honest with you. Because I could never stand and watch any man take the abuse that he did. But then to know that he took it for me, and every sin that I've had, and every filth and junk that I've ever done, man, that's, wow, dude, Like, how could you not be changed when you look at it from that that perspective? How could you not want to proclaim it at every opportunity you have, when you think about it from that perspective, that He did it for you. Not just everybody, but for you. Just this morning in my Sunday school class, my youth Sunday school class, we did a little thing. We had a youth rally last night. and Thank you guys for your church supporting that and bringing your children. It was good. It was phenomenal. So I went around the room and just asked some different things. And, and one of the things was, is, what would change your opinion? Or what opinion do you have of God that's standing between you and God? Right? Because that's important. Because we all have opinions of different things. And one of the things is that I'm not worthy enough. I heard that from about 95% of the students that were in that room. And so if I heard that from 95% of that students in that room, I guarantee you there's quite a few of in here that agree with that. If you have Jesus Christ living inside of you, you are worthy. You are everything. He created you. Everything about you. But we walk around beat up, defeated, Endurance is not even a word that we can pronounce or spell when it comes to our Christianity because we just live defeated flat on our face or flat on our back every day. You wonder why we had the two candidates we did this last week? Because of that right there. We live defeated as Christians. The church has said, well, we're ineffective. We're not doing what we can do. We're not raising the tides that we can. We're not being able to reach the mission field we can. So we'll just just sit back over here and let people come to us. I don't believe Matthew 28.19, as I shared with you all a couple months ago, our mission in life as Christians, it doesn't say sit and wait. It says go and make disciples. Right? 
Very important that we understand that. I don't care if there's two people in this church, those two people should be out reaching this community. That's my opinion. Because my opinion, this church starts at that door. At the outside of that door, not the inside of that door. Right? Because the people that are in here is the church, not this building. Right? The people out there are the ones that we are called to go and get and to bring forth to make disciples. Very important. But we also see in these passages was the first century believers were starting to give up on their faith and, uh, and very little effort to persevere into that. So that's why Paul clearly tells them the outline in three verses of what they need to do. Man, that's so much power just in three verses to change lives. But to be clear, as I said, this Scripture isn't talking about gaining salvation. This Scripture is talking about those that are already saved and getting them on fire. As I talked about a couple months ago, inciting a riot in them for the Gospel. To be burning so bright that others would see it. I'm going through Discipleship 101 class through the Sermon on the Mount with our students, and we just finished Salt and Light here not too long ago. And if you'll read that, Matthew 5, uh, chapters, uh, verses 1, or I'm sorry, 14 and 15, I believe it is. It says, You are light. You are salt. It doesn't say, Go be light. Go be salt. He's trying to tell his disciples, Brother, if you got me inside of you, you are light. You are salt. That should mean something to us the way we portray ourselves and the way that we act in our communities and in our homes. It doesn't say that something we're going to go and obtain. It says that we are. Man, that's power. We need to accept that. Oh my God, i got Jesus Christ living inside of me. I should shine bright. You know what happens when you turn on a phone light in a, in a stadium with no light? Say the lights went out. What happens to that? What, what happens there? Anybody know? Everybody looks at that light because it's different. I'm talking in a stadium of 30,000 people because two years ago, Tammy and I went to a conference in Houston and the whole building was lit up by just cell phone lights in a completely dark stadium. Right? When we shine bright, the light of Jesus Christ, when we endure as this says, we will stand apart. We will be noticed by others. But when we decide to hide our lights and we decide not to be seasoned and not be ready and not be discipled, we are not doing what God's called us to do. This represents who is already saved and is running for the goal of being what God intends for us as Christians to be. To be revived. That's what we're here for this week, is to be revived. So we really need to stop there and ask yourselves where you're at in this race. Because see, first we need to consider the witnesses. As it talks about in verse 1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, this first speaks of a couple of different groups of witnesses, and this is very important that we understand this, because as we talked about chapter 11, this is talking about the witnesses that have come before us, that have gone and run their race before us to go and look back to, and we see where they had extreme endurance and faith to run the race for us, so we would have examples to follow. Some of those, just to name a few, are like Jesus, Paul, David, Job, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But in today's times, a man like Billy Graham, Franklin Graham, and many others that are out there. Now, they're becoming fewer and fewer and fewer. You know, there was a gentleman that I, uh, actually one of my college students brought to my attention. There's a gentleman that I was, uh, I don't want to say following, because I only follow Jesus, but a gentleman that I really enjoyed here preaching. And then she sent me this long paragraph the other day, and I was crushed. I was like, wow, really? This dude really did that? Because there's a lot of young people that follow this guy. And I don't want to throw his name and put him out there on blast, but a guy that just was really solid. And for me, it wasn't even about me. It was about all these millions of young people that follow this guy and have been led astray. 
But we have to remember something I've told my son ever since he was born. Never put your faith in man. I don't care if it's Frank and I love him because he's my brother. I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's your husband, your wife. We put our faith in God. And we pray for everybody else. Because we were born into a sin-fallen world. And that's what endurance looks like. Because when you can endure the race, as he's talking about here, that's how we reach the goal, right? Because see, whether we're running in a race is inspired by godly examples and testimonies. We are setting those in front of us for our children, for those around us. You know, I shared again a story this morning that I already had put in my illustrations, but I shared this morning the story. Uh, I had an opportunity, I think I was like 10 or 11, 12 years old, and there was nothing on TV back then. It was all black and white. Not really, but anyways. Um, the horse races were on. The Kentucky Derby is on, right? And you see these horses, man, it's just amazing to see them out there just physical specimens of God, just beautiful horses. And they're running and running and running. And if ever, y'all ever, who's ever watched a horse race in here? Anybody watch horse races at all? Okay, well, you see that they have those blinders on their eyes. Well, they're very important. And sometimes we need to have those as well, right? Because as these horses were running around this track, I could see one of these blinders starting to do this number. And as it started to do this number, he started to look around. And as he started to look around, right at the stadium, he went and killed three people in a stand. That's what happens in our life when we don't pay attention to where we're going. When we're not focused on God, and we're not focused on the race that He's called us to run, we get a little off track. And as that blinder starts to open up more, we start opening up what we're getting off track to a little bit more. And before you know it, you look back and the track's gone. You can't even see the track anymore. Because you went so far, and how many people got damaged just like this horse did to these people in the stands? Because you allowed yourself to get so far off track. Because that's important when we're looking at the cloud of witnesses that are surrounded us, they're watching us. If we claim to be Christians, and we are being the salt and light and standing out like I said that we should be, people will notice. And people will see what's going on. It's very important to understand that. Because the motivation for running the race is not the impossibility of receiving praise from observing Christians. Rather than the runner is inspired by the godly example and testimony they are leaving behind for others to see. We are all writing a chapter in a book. I want to make sure you understand that. Every one of you in your lives is writing a chapter in the book. Right? It's very important that we know that. And it's, it, what's even more important is that chapter honor God? Does that book honor God? Or does it look like the world? Does it look like Fifty Shades of Grey? Or does it look like some of the other trash that's out there? Because it's very important when somebody wants to look at our novel, what it looks like. And what are they reading? Very, very important. Because we're all writing a chapter, and it just depends on what it looks like. See, the great crowd of witnesses here talked about it's compiled of spectators. Because everybody in this room has spectators. Whether it's their husband, their wife, their children, their co-workers, their classmates, their teachers, their coaches. Wherever they're at, wherever you're at, there's spectators watching you every day. Whether they be close or whether they be acquaintances, when you've claimed and called out to be a Christian, you're being watched. You're being noticed. And it's very important that we understand that. But see, the great crowd I've talked about here is compiled of spectators, but rather it's comprised of ones whose past life of faith encourages others to live the same way as he's talking about here, because Paul is the one bringing this, and they would have known all the stories of Paul at that time. But make no mistake, there are always witnesses watching us all the time, making assessments and wanting to see how we'll act when we call ourselves Christians. It's so amazing. I remember back when I was in the secular world, and I was really on fire for God. I'd have all these people when I would slip, or when I would slip and do something stupid, right? And they'd be like, oh, dude, you ain't a Christian. You ain't nothing. You're a punk. 
Look at what you did. You said you're a Christian and you talk like that? I'm a fallible man as well. And back then, I was still very fallible and very moldable, right? But it's so important to know, and not that we can, again, I'm not talking about a works-based salvation here, but we have to know that people are watching us. If we are truly wanting to be disciples of Jesus Christ, as I said before, disciple means willing learner. We've got to be willing to learn differently than what we may have seen our whole adolescence. What we may have seen our whole lives. When Jesus Christ comes inside of us, there's a change. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says the old is gone and the new has come. There has to be a full change in your life. And why is that? Because verse 20 says that we are to be ambassadors for Christ. So how can you be an ambassador for Christ if you've never truly changed? So important that we understand that. Because there's so many times, well, I don't want to spoil that because I'm getting to that in a little bit, so I don't want to ruin that. Um, but see, if you show me who your friends are and what you're reading, what you're watching and listening to and the places that you frequent, I can pretty much tell you what your future is going to look like. And I'm not a fortune teller, but i got a testimony. right? And so I want to tell you, whatever you're reading, whatever you're watching, wherever you're going, whoever you're hanging out with, remember, you're claiming to be a Christian when you're going to those places, talking about those things, hanging out with those people. What kind of witness are you leaving for Christ? The speaker last night said something very important. Hmm. Forgive me. <clears throat> it was the band said something very important. Talking about worship. <coughs> Excuse me. It said we should be worshiping, and I take this into living our life as well, we should be worshiping like Jesus Christ is sitting right across from us. How much differently would you worship on Sunday morning if Jesus was sitting right beside you? Claiming to be a Christian. Oh, I guarantee you, you'd be all about it. Even in a Baptist church, you'd be all about it. I promise you. Right? Because you wouldn't care about what anybody else thought then. You're going to be trying to impress your father. You're going to be trying to impress Jesus. You're going to have the endurance that he's talking about. So next cloud of witness we need to be aware of are those around us now. That's what is so important to me, especially in our nation today, because that's what's going to change this nation. When we wake up, rise up, tool up, and be ready to man up, or woman up, to understand that there's people watching us and we need to make an example for them. Especially our young ones, right? Our youth today are just being devoured by the filth and trash that's everywhere. When you can turn on the, the Channel 12 at 7 o'clock on a, on a weekday, right? And I don't watch TV that much, but I happened to come home early one night and turn it on, and there was some of the foulest trash on regular Channel 12 TV today. It just curls my stomach and to know, you know, when I was a kid, that came on like 10, 11, 12 o'clock after the news. It comes on at 7 o'clock when most families now that are working two jobs, barely getting home to feed their families, it's coming on when families are eating dinner and watching it while they're eating it. And we wonder why the moral decay in our young people is what it is today. And we see it pouring out and spilling over into everything. The way we run the race will bear witness of Jesus to those around us. I cannot stress that enough. Our family, our coworkers, peers, teammates, bosses, our neighbors, many of whom we may not even realize that are watching. Because again, we get in these routines and we get into, well, I gotta pull into the line, drop the kids off, I gotta go to the basketball game, I gotta go to work, I gotta pick up food, I gotta do this, that, and the other. And we get in these routines and we just completely become oblivious to those that are around us. Are they responsible for your salvation? Absolutely not. Are you responsible for their salvation? Absolutely not. And since I have a few of my students here, who's responsible for your salvation? I teach my students that almost every week because it's so important because we have lost that in our mentality as a nation. Because we want to blame everybody and we want to say it's everybody else's fault why I can't succeed and we put no effort into trying to be the man or woman that God wants us to be. 
We have become an extremely entitled situation in our nation, in this world, and in our young people. And that's why we have these riots and stuff. These are not smart, wisdom-filled adults. These are young people being trucked in. These are young people being fed this garbage. And they're taking it so easily because as a church, as the church, not this church, don't get me wrong, as the church, we are not doing what we need to be doing to reach these people. If you remember a couple months ago, I told you about the millennials is the largest generation in this nation ever. 4% of them go to church. The largest generation ever. 4% of them go to church. And as I stated then, and I believe even more today through the stuff that's been going on this past week, if 2% of them are on fire, I'd be surprised. Right? I'm just saying. And they see this all day, every day. You'd be amazed what my students, and I'm sure Corey could back this up. I don't see Corey. I'm sure Corey could back this up. What these students are getting fed at school, at our public schools today. Our pastor this morning talked about how Christianity is just annihilated, but if you were to say something against Muhammad, oh, you'd be a racist. They'd probably put you on the no-fly zone. You'd be a terrorist. Why? What was this nation founded on? Judeo-Christian beliefs and values. But we have forgot what endurance means. We have forgot what fortitude means. We have forgot that He died on a cross so we could do anything to glorify Him. Right? It's so important that we understand that because if we can't do that unless we get rid of the weights, we can't do that until we get rid of the sin. Not that He needs that for Him to accept us, but how are others going to want to see a change if they don't see a change in us and we're claiming to be the church? Very, very important. I want to ask yourself a question today. Uh, What is the Gospel according to you? Think about that just for a moment. Because if you can't answer that question of what the Gospel means to you, you're probably not spreading it to anybody else. Because if you don't know what the Gospel is, how could you spread it to anybody else? Right? And if you ever want to know, I know you have a wonderful pastor, Brian, many other people in this church that could help share that. There would be no condemnation. Because guys, that's what we got to get beyond. we got to get beyond worrying about, well, I can't go ask a question because I've been coming to this church a while. They'll think I'm an idiot. Who cares? We're talking about salvation. We're talking about preaching the Gospel. Saving the lost that are dying and going to a devil's hell. That's what we need to be worried about. That's what we need to be on fire about. Not what so-and-so is going to think about me. Not what so-and-so is going to say about me in the community. Who cares? You serve an audience of one when you become a Christian. And that's Jesus Christ. That's what a revival looks like to me. When we understand that we serve the audience of one, Praise God for all your friends and acquaintances at church. I'm not dogging that at all. We are called to be one body. But we're called to be one healthy body. Not a cancer-filled infestation that goes out in the community spreading trash. Discipleship. Disciple means willing learner. I cannot stress that enough. We've got to be willing to learn. So important. i got a poem here. I Debating on whether I was going to read it, but I think it's important. There's a sweet old story translated for men, but it was written a long time ago. It's called The Gospel According to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of Christ and His mission while He was here on earth. So you may not realize it, but you're writing a story as well. A chapter day by day. By the deeds that you do and by the words that you say. Men and women and children, read what you write, whether it's faithless or true. So what is the Gospel according to you? We read and admire the Gospel of Christ with its love so unfailing and true. But what do they say and what do they do when they think of the Gospel according to you? 
It's a wonderful story, that gospel of love, as it shines in Christ's life divine. And oh, that its truth might be told again in the story of your life and mine. Unselfish mirrors in every scene, love blossoms on every sod, and back from its vision of the heart comes to tell the wonderful goodness of God. You're writing each day a letter to men. Please take care that the writing is true, because the only gospel some folks will read is the gospel according to you. We have lost that, guys. We think it doesn't mean anything to us anymore. We think we don't have a voice anymore. I was not a Trump supporter. I don't mind saying that from the pulpit. I'm not going to say, oh, actually, I wrote in Jesus Christ, to be quite honest. Well, you can say it's a wasted vote if you want. I don't answer to you. I serve a party of one. Make sure you understand that. But in saying that, I want to make sure that you understand as well that more evangelicals came out to the voting polls this year than ever before. Right? If we could do that every Sunday in our churches, if we could do that every Wednesday in our communities, if we could do that the other five days in our homes, our nation would change to be what evangelicals would want to vote for. I want to make sure you understand that. That's what endurance looks like. right? You can judge me if you will. I don't really care. Because, again, I serve a party of one. When we run the race of Christianity, we must consider the spectators and the folks cheering us on. Because, guys, when we're spreading and we have the Christianity that, we, that God has called us to have, the, the salt and the light that, that God has called us to have, we're going to be surrounded by people that are going to be wanting us to succeed. We're going to be surrounded by people that we want to make sure that we don't fail because they're watching the race that we run. Will you fail? Potentially. That's what repentance, conviction, and restoration is for. Right? But we have to be willing to at least start to do what God wants us to do. Not just expect it to fall into our laps. Because that's not what he's talking about here. Running a race doesn't happen sitting on the benches, on the bleachers or on the benches. Running a race doesn't happen just sitting in your chair. And if that's all you can do, pray. Because that works more than anything. If you're stuck in a chair, you know somebody's stuck in a chair, hey, they can run this race just like I can. Pray. Pray for everyone. Pray for everything. Because that's a full-time job as well. Just as we cheer on our favorite sports team, something that amazes me is how we can cheer so profoundly. I'm a big sports guy. I love football, college football. I love the Floresville Tigers. I'm there almost every game. And it's amazing. You can see people, church folk, and I'm not going to say what church, but church folk at these games, man, they're just on fire for this team, on fire for the players, falling asleep on Sunday morning in church. You're sitting at a game for three hours. You can't talk for the next two days because you cheered them on. You're falling asleep at church. Not active in a Sunday school. Not active in a Bible study. Not active in a fellowship group. Not active anywhere cooking, helping, doing anything. Man, for that three hours a week, dude, you're on fire for that football team. That's what revival is, guys. We have got to get away from that mentality that's being crammed down our throats that society says we have to do these things to be happy when we're living in pain every day because we don't have a relationship with Jesus, we should. Right? That brings the true happiness. It's so amazing. As parents, your children will be watching you and ultimately will follow the race path that you decide to run. I want to make sure you understand that. I can tell you that from testimony. If you have siblings or, or young people, children living in your home, they are watching every single thing you do. They idolize you. They want to be like you. They want to do everything that you want to do. They may disrespect you. They may backtalk you and say, I don't want nothing to do with you. That's a direct lie. I want to tell you that as a youth pastor. They want you to be their parents, not their friends. And they want to have something that they can model as they grow up. Because I promise you, whatever you're modeling for them, you're going to see it played out in their lives. I promise you. I'm just telling you. It's the truth. 
And this is a statistical fact. Not an absolute, but more times than not. Young people, if you have younger siblings, like some of you do, as I've talked to all mine for sure, they're watching you. Your brothers and sisters, if you're older, are watching you to see what you're going to do and to see what they can get away with when they get to be your age. And see the race that you say that you want to run every Wednesday night or Thursday night here. Or see the race that you say you want to run every Sunday morning, then you go to school or you go back home and you have the mouth of a sailor. Or you're reading Fifty Shades of Grey. But it just boggles my mind because I want to make sure you understand this. I did a study a while back and you would not be, or you may be, you may be amazed to see how many parents bought that book for their children. Children. I'm not talking 17, 18 year olds. Children. The statistics were phenomenal. They did a phone study. And I don't remember exactly the percentage, but if it was one, wow, really? Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And folks, I'm here to tell you today, including myself, the outside lost and dying world is watching the path that Christians run. Even though we may not think we have a voice anymore, they're still watching us. The reason why they hate us, because they ain't us. That's exactly why. Exactly why. They see us running the same race as them, they won't care or be able to see the need for Jesus. If we look like they do, why would they need a change? It's very important. Next thing we must consider is the weights. As we have up here, I have a couple of... Uh, um, uh, man, I just drew a blank. Um, the ball's here for the shot put, and there's a weight bag. And so just think about carrying that around every day. And just think about after a while, man, you start getting back problems, you start getting arm problems, you start getting leg problems. Um, you'd have all these different things going on, but all you have to do is just set it down. Take it out. Put it on this table and be done with it. But we don't choose to do that. We choose to carry the weight every day. So looking at the last part of, of verse 1 here, and we'll continue on. And it says, Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. I want to make sure we understand that. Clings so closely. Because I know, again, as I said earlier, there's sins that we think that we can just put away. Oh, that's big, man. That's, that's good. I'm done with that one. But it's the little ones that will grow footholds and strongholds in your life into other things. Casting Crowns has a song that's kind of old, and I love old Casting Crowns. It says it's a slow fade. And that's very important for us to understand. Because if you're not focused on where you need to be with Christ, if you don't have the endurance to run the race that he's talking about here, it will be a slow fade for you right back to where you came from. Because you will lose track, as I said again, with the horse of where the track is. Very important. So again, I'm going to run a cross-country race. I'm fixing to join a cross-country team and run a cross-country race. And before I do so, I want to put on the heaviest football cleats that I can wear. Uh, and I want to uh, think I'll wear the biggest football uniform for protection, of course, because that's, you know, I may fall down. I need to be protected. And I might get a little hungry or thirsty, so I'm going to pack this backpack full of Gatorades and snacks. And uh, it's going to be very hard for me to do all that and step into those starting blocks and even be able to stand up without falling down. But then it's going to be even more harder for me to win when I'm sitting beside in the track here, somebody like Julio, that's physically fit, good shape, lean, ready to go. It's going to be very hard for me to win that race when I'm racing against him. Hear me when I say that. Because I know there's people in this room, right, that are carrying that much weight of sin in their life. Right? And it's dragging you. And it's hurting you. And you're full of guilt and shame, which is another sin actually, because you're, you know, our pastor said a couple weeks ago that I thought was really phenomenal. It says, uh, meditation, you know, meditation is something where we dwell on something. When, you know, and, and, you know, it talks about meditating on God's Word and just really trying to see what God's Word has to tell us. But, you know, there's another form of meditation as well. It's called worry. 
right? And we allow the sin and the worry of life to be on us. And what happens when you start worrying? You continue to worry. And you continue to worry. And just like sin, when you start with sin, and you continue to sin, and then you continue to sin, and then it's like, I'm not going to church on Wednesday. Well, I can't do that. I miss Wednesday, so I'm going to miss Sunday. Well, I miss Sunday, so I think I'll miss next week. And then it just becomes this thing that you're carrying all this baggage on you, and you can't see you anymore. All you see is the rut sack of sin and craziness that you have on. And you expect yourself to be able to run a race every day? Wow. When all you have to do, God says, all we have to do is confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, and praise God we are saved. And then we need to repent of the things that we have in our life and lay it down and never to be picked up again. Every weight, every sin that clings to us. Because it would be hard for the most skilled of runner or athlete to win a race wearing all this extra junk that we think that we just have to carry around all the time. But that's exactly why we, what we tend to do every day when we decide that we can live life on our own. We don't need Jesus. Oh, that's out of date. That's out of style. You can't do that. That's not what the world's cramming down my throat. No, it's not. That's exactly the point. Right? Very, very important. There's a term used in the King James called besetting sins. The sins that just hold on to us that we can never seem to get rid of and we get entangled with. And we've got to realize daily or sometimes hourly that we need to get rid of the excess weight that we are carrying. This is like a picture of a person who's ever... I know out here in the country we have a lot of big weeds. When you mow, your weeds get real tall and you mow and you have to get under your mower deck and clean them all out because it bogs down the mower. Think about trying to run with that around your feet. That's what happens when we get this besetting sins in our life, these reoccurring sins that we can never get rid of. You basically just have to walk like this until you fall over flat on your face or you fall over flat on your back because you're so entangled in this sin, so entangled in the, in the, in the weeds that are just dragging you down and never being able to help you win the race. Um, some athletes like today wear tight caps. Some runners even today, take, like I said earlier, take it to the extreme and shave themselves and wear these shoes that got to hurt because they're so thin and give them no protection between them and the asphalt. And that's why we have to worry about working on even the smallest of sins and even the smallest of things in our lives, not to put pressure on us to be perfect, not to put pressure on us to succeed, but to give everything to God and let Him have it all and let Him refine us and make us into the, to be in the athletes that we, He has called us to be. But in addition to the weights of which different people have different kinds, there's also the reoccurring sin as we talked about. And that one thing that hinders our progress. Because even if you're a Christian, and it, you know, it's funny, I heard a statistic here not too long ago. Uh, pastors today preach, I mean, uh, spend time in prayer about four minutes a day. And I believe it was youth pastors, the average now is about two minutes a day. So if your pastors are struggling with finding time to pray and are struggling with finding time to get rid of the things in their lives, how do you think that you're learning anything about that as well? And are you truly wanting to be discipled to learn more about prayer? to learn more about getting rid of the weights that we're carrying. Uh, because it's very important that we need to get rid of these reoccurring sins that continue to bind us up. Uh, because it doesn't just always sometimes drag us down. It'll make us completely stop. You'll say, well, psh, I can't do this Christian thing anymore. It's just too much. I just can't. I just can't do it anymore. I'm laying it down. I'm walking away from it. I'm sure we all know of somebody in our lives, our children, or a sibling, or somebody that has done that. Because they just didn't apply themselves and they just didn't have the endurance and they didn't seek counsel to try to help get through these things. But these sins could look like really three different things. It could be repetitive sins that we refuse to give up. 
I'm sure we all could say we have something in our lives that we just can't get rid of. It could be the burdens or grudges that we refuse to lay down and mend with others. That's a huge one because you're just tearing yourself apart. They may not even know that you have a grudge with them. They may not even know that there's an issue between you and them. But that sin will eat at you. Satan will use that. John 8.44 says that he is the devil and he is the father of lies. And he will use that to put things in your mind that will never leave until Jesus steps in. Until you ask Jesus to step in and change that. Go make right. Blessed is the peacemakers. Right? One of the Beatitudes. Blessed is the peacemakers. It's much more better to be right with God than to be left here. Very important that we understand that. Number three, it could be the entanglements of this world that we give a greater priority to than our spiritual race. The other thing that our students said this morning, that, that the, the really thing that stands between them is the TV shows, the music, the other things, that, the texting, the social media, all those things that they are putting between them and God. Uh, something the speaker said last night that was phenomenal. It says, you know, uh, if you don't want to come to church because the hypocrites are there and you're allowing the hypocrites between, being between you and God, guess what? Those hypocrites are closer to God than you are. Think about that for a minute. That's powerful stuff right there because that happens a lot in churchgoers' lives. They say, I can't go back to their church or nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. I can't go talk to that pastor. He, he messed up one time. Well, just remember that they are closer to God than you are when you do that. God has given us the privilege to serve Him. I want to make sure we understand that as well because as a revival, that's what we need to be revived for. To remember that it's a privilege to serve Him. It's not something He comes and beats us overhead like a whack-a-mole and says, hey, I need you to do this. Get up. Let's go. He's calling us to a relationship with Him. He's calling us to want to serve Him. And Paul, we're using here as the example to see what that is. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Where We're going to talk about Paul became all things to all men to save some because he was willing to have a servant's heart to do what God had called him to do. 1 Corinthians 3.9 and 2 Corinthians 6.1 Paul states that we are co-laborers with Christ. When you look at it from that perspective, when you've got to do the trivial, menial job, my wife is so blessed to clean our church, and I, I'm honored to say that about her. Some people would say, your wife cleans the church? Man, that's a blessing right there. Because that's a job that a lot of people wouldn't do. It's a job that a lot of people would say that's beneath them. We need to remember that we are co-laborers with Christ. And no matter whatever job He calls us to do, first spreading the Gospel, we need to take that as a badge of honor. Oh man, God has called me to service? God has called me to spread the Gospel? Well, I'm not educated enough to do that. Really? Because your whole handbook's right here. And most of the time, you can open a concordance and it'll tell you how to share the Gospel. But are you a disciple? A willing learner? Because that's what it boils down to. Are you willing to spread the Gospel? Because that's where it starts. It's not a curse that some tend to act like when they get asked to serve in the community or the church body. It's so amazing the statistics today, you know, uh, probably 10 or 15 years ago, I thought it was probably 80-20. 20% uh, of the people in the church did 80% of the work or 100% of the work. I think that's because of the apathy in the church today. I think that's probably more like 10% or 5%. Praise God for your church here. Um, from what I hear, you guys have a lot of servants. And praise God for that. Sometimes, uh, and just speaking openly, sometimes I wish our church had less money and more servants. To be quite honest with you. Because that's what it's come about. Most churches have become about pews and tithes and money and not service, humble, humility, servanthood. The two things that Jesus Christ, I believe, taught more than anything is humility and servanthood. Two things that are mission, missing from this world today, humility and servanthood. Because we have completely grafted out Jesus from our everyday lives. And so as a society, we have completely said, 
We don't need to serve each other. We need to be at war with each other. Wow, does that look like a Judeo-Christian founded nation when we think about it from that perspective? No. We have lost the center of Jesus as our foundation. And that's why something I found profound is that we don't know how long we've been given to run this race. You know, I shared last time I was here about Mr. Rudder. Uh, used to be a good friend of mine. Again, he never knew when he got up that morning to be his last day. We have no idea how many days that we've been given. And that's why we should live every day like it's our last. And I don't mean that wilding out doing crazy. I mean serving, growing, gratifying, glorifying God with everything that we say and do. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes 9.12 is talking about the race when he says, For man also doesn't know his time. And then further on in that Scripture it says, When it falleth suddenly upon him. Meaning death. We never know how many days that we have. We are not promised a minute, an hour, a single day, a single breath of life. And I want to make sure you understand something. And, and there's some, some folks with wisdom in here. I don't say age because that's not cool. But wisdom in here that knows there's no place in this book where it says you can live any life you want to and be saved. I want to make sure you understand that. It never says anywhere in here that you can live as crazy as you want to and gain a relationship with Christ. Let me put it to you from this point. This young man right here, I love him like my son. If I brought him up here and just beat the mess out of him, would it show that I loved him? No, right? It wouldn't. Same thing we do with Jesus every day. It is. Because we say we love him. We say we want to have something to do with him. And then all we do is everything but show that to him. We do everything but model that for him. We do everything but display what it looks like to have a relationship with somebody that we truly love when we do that and with the sin and stuff that we carry in our lives. Consider the person of Christ. Hebrews 12, uh, 2 and 3. If you'll follow along with me. It says, looking, uh, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. There's that word endured again. The cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to consider the person of who Christ is when He's talking about Him here. And first, we need to consider the example of Jesus and how to live and how to love. Right? It's very important that we understand that. We must also consider Jesus' trials. When we see the writer of Hebrews here was challenging us to look to Christ and the things that He had to endure. Man, it's so amazing. If I, I, I encourage you to go and either rent, buy, or borrow the copy of The Passion of the Christ. And truly watch, if you don't watch the whole thing, watch just what Jesus had to go through to physically. And for me, when I, when I talk about that in depth with our students to make sure they understand the, the physical price that was paid for them, I personally believe that that is nothing in compared to the price that He paid spiritually and mentally. This was our Savior riding in under palm leaves, glorified as the God-man that He was. Not so long later, ridiculed like a nobody and less than a low body because he took more than anybody think about what that would be in your family if somebody in your family did that to you after you just showed them every bit of love and compassion that you could ever imagine and then they treated you that way that's nothing in comparison i think to what jesus felt because it was all the people all the jews even his disciples that he poured into showed all the miracles to laid his heart out in front of them and even they denied Him. Even they didn't want to recognize Him when it came time to. 
He challenges us to compare the sufferings to, the, to those of Jesus while He was here on earth. So in closing tonight, the next two sessions, I want to make sure we understand, uh, tomorrow and Tuesday night, we'll continue on what it means to be an inspiring and aspiring athlete for God. No matter how old you are, you can be an athlete for Jesus Christ. On your couch, in this pew, in your supermarkets, in your homes, in your schools, wherever you are, no matter what kind of physical shape you're in, as long as you have breath in your lungs, a brain in your mind, and a voice to speak with, you can be an inspiring athlete for Jesus Christ. I want to make sure we understand that. But as we close tonight, what is the Gospel according to you? If you didn't hear nothing else I've said tonight, I hope that question keeps you up tonight, laying in bed, watching the ceiling fan, and really dwelling on and getting with God in your prayer closet, in your time of worship, and ask, God, what does the Gospel mean to me? And if you don't know, Come back tomorrow, and I would love to share it with you. I know there's other people in here that would love to share it with you. Bring a friend, bring many friends, and ask them that question. To have come to be prepared tomorrow to be answered. What does the Gospel mean to you? Because again, guys, I cannot stress enough, you may think that's a cheesy question. You may think, well, I know that. I know that front and back. But what are you doing with it? Even if you could give me the answer of what the Gospel is, either according to the Bible or in your uh vernacular what are you doing with it because just because you may know it if you're not doing anything with it you might as well not have it you might as well not know it because we are called to love god love people and spread the gospel that's our three life missions as christians love god love people spread the gospel make disciples and bring them close to us because as we close tonight, what is the Gospel according to you? It's so important to understand that. Are you like most of these folks in Hebrews that we talked about and are carrying sin and weight and allowing you to be stuck at the starting line or just be drugged down and, and dragging? You know, there's the, the thing that the NFL does. I'm a huge J.J. Watt fan, and it's amazing to see this man flip tires all day and drag these sleds full of like 700 pounds of weight. But you don't see him sprinting from one end to the other when he's dragging that 700 pounds of weight. He's physically just having to do everything he can to move that sled. Is that the way you're living life every day? Just dragging it through, man, just to get through another day? Are you so broken and beaten that you just can't seem to figure it out? I hope tonight as, you, as we get to a time of altar call here, as I get Julio and Annie to come back up and play one more song for us, I pray that, uh, again, if that is you, that you would come to the altar tonight, lay that down, this altar will be open. If there's any issues with relationships in here. And as I said, that's a besetting sin that you'll never see glory, never see joy in your life as long as you're harboring anger and hate for someone else. you got to be willing to lay it down. Be the bigger person. You don't have to be right. Being happy and being right, most of the time, don't go together. It's better to be happy than it is to be right. I've had to humble myself over the last few years and really just beg for people's forgiveness for the things that I've done. But I can stand here proudly and say it's not me that's done that. It's the wanting to be closer to Jesus Christ that has asked me and have me and pushed me and encouraged me to do so. And that's what I'm encouraging you tonight. To be aware. If we don't say it, we never make it aware. If we never call it out, He doesn't ever see it. He knows the condition of your heart. He wants you to vocalize to Him the relationship to get out those things that you're struggling with. To be able to forgive someone at this altar that maybe died 10 years ago because it's killing you inside. How much more effective are you going to be for Jesus 
When you have more time to focus on that instead of dragging yourself through the mud because you're so full of guilt and shame. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you just haven't ever gotten rid of. And you think about it all the time even if you don't act on it. That mind space should be filled with Jesus. Not that sin. Not that destruction. Not that drama. He is the healer. He is the perfecter. He is the way maker. He is everything. If we just only ask Him to be. If we just only invite Him to truly consume our heart. I know most of you in here a little bit, if not personally. So I know most of you in here know Jesus. But maybe you've been playing church and maybe you don't have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Don't leave this building without changing that. Because I guarantee you, Dane Rudder would like to have had another day. But I know where he's at, praise God. But we're not promised another second. We're not promised another day. A good friend of mine in our motorcycle ministry is down from Ohio just in the last six months. And he's, he's so down in the dumps until I, I really told him this last night. Last six months, his wife got totaled in a motorcycle accident. She lived and is walking today. Got ran over, right? After that, he was in a, on a motorcycle, a really nice motorcycle. Somebody came and took off the whole front forks with him on it. He's living, walking, testimony, not hurting today. On their way here just the other day, their rental car, no, their car, got totaled by an 18-wheeler on 35. Now, most people would say, oh my gosh, they got to be just down in the dumps depressed. And they are. But they're alive. They are here. They need to be expressing the joy that they have for Jesus Christ. And that's what I tried to express to him last night. Brother, your family's alive. You are here another day to portray the name, the only name that saves. Get up. Rise out of, out of that ditch. Get back on fire where God wants you to be. We don't have time for this. God has saved you for a plan, purpose, and reason. God has saved your family for a time, purpose, plan, and reason. And it's not to be in this ditch. It's to be praising and sharing testimony of all God's done for you in the last six months. Because it's very easy for us when we lose a job. It's very easy for us when we have an accident. It's very easy for us when we get sick. To get in that ditch where Satan's hiding, waiting for us to grab us and hold on to us and keep us there. Get out of that ditch tonight. Come up here and lay it down. As they play, I'll be up here. Brian, would you mind joining me just on the other side? If you want to pray, if you feel comfortable praying with me, or if you want to pray with Brian, come up. Don't leave here tonight carrying the baggage that you came with. Come back out of here like you went on a diet and laid it all down. Bow your heads with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just we love you. We thank You, Father. We just pray that You would have Your way in this place tonight, Father. Lord, whatever it may be that's on the heavy heart of someone in this room, Father. Lord, I just pray that You lighten their load. Lord, I pray that they would come forth. And even if they don't feel comfortable, right where they're at, Father, because You're there as well, that they would just lay down whatever the barrier is that's between You and them, Father. Lord, I pray for the relationships in this room, Father, with You, not with anybody around them, but first with You, Father, that those relationships would be on fire, Father, that they would be ignited or reignited, Father. Because Lord, You tell us when our relationship with You is where it needs to be, all the other relationships will work out, Father. So Lord, I just pray that You would have Your way in this place. Anoint this place with Your Spirit, Father. Just have it run rampant through every heart that's in this room, including my own, Father. Lord, I love You. I thank You. We ask all this in Your precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. More I see.